Hey, hey, welcome back, y'all. Today's guest is a friend of mine from grad school. She has made a massive impact on the socials. You may have heard of her as her handle is It's a Flavorful Life. Erica Beatty is an amazing cook and mama of two young kiddos that manages to have amazingly healthy, delicious foods day in and day out. She is a true inspiration. Listen to this whole episode because you will be getting a lot of advice around how to actually make healthy food taste amazing. Towards the end of the episode is when we dive into that a little bit more, but gosh, honestly, this thing has a lot of gold throughout. So listen in. Can't wait to hear what you think. Hello and welcome to Eating Between the Lines. I am your host, Therese Martinez, and I am so happy to have you here. If you want to untangle yourself from diet culture conditioning and get appropriate, actionable options to nourish your unique life and body, I'm going to dive deep into the nuanced spectrum of health to help you figure out what to prioritize in your journey without getting trapped in the extreme ideology of health optimization or total complacency. I am here to help you apply the science effectively, not rigidly, and get you feeling better in your body and mind. Here is how to eat between the lines. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited today. Um, We have Erica Beatty on, and she is a registered dietitian, fitness enthusiast, and lover of all things food and nutrition. She has a Bachelor of Science in Health Science from Whitworth University and Master's of Science in Dietetics, Nutrition, and Exercise Physiology from Washington State University. She worked as an outpatient weight management and diabetes dietitian for a community health clinic for seven years before transitioning her career to stay-at-home mom an online content creator. She met her husband in the produce section of Winco. I love this story. And they have two daughters, ages one and three. Erica is wildly passionate about demonstrating and educating others on how to live a healthful or how to have a healthful, nutritious diet and how it can be delicious, energizing, fun to eat, and sustainable. She is a big believer that all foods can fit into a balanced lifestyle and that you can skip over the nutritious noise and dogma that is abundantly found in today's diet culture to find peace with joyfully wholesome food. Her personal favorite foods include avocado toast. She has like a hundred different variations, um, roasted vegetables, kale salads, fish tacos, cheese boards, all fruits except cantaloupe, which I just learned, um, matcha boba tea, and pretty much any baked good. You guys, Erica is incredible. Um, she has I a big following on Instagram. It's where I have picked up so many tips, tricks, and skills, honestly, from her. But beyond that, Erica and I went to grad school together. And it has been 
such a pleasure watching her just grow into an incredible, um, I don't know, I get an influencer. Do you consider like, is that? Yeah. Straight up. I guess for lack of a better term. Uh Yeah. Yeah. But um, I have been looking forward to having Erica on this podcast for a long time. I actually just uh, asked her a little bit ago and was very happy that she agreed because um, she is just in such alignment with a lot of what I want to promote to y'all as well. And she has just been in the game with her head on straight in my mind for a long time. So I feel like my journey has been a lot more convoluted and uh, off course than what I at least have seen with Erica. And it's been one of the reasons I've wanted to have her on for um, a long time since I've been wanting to launch this podcast. So welcome, Erica. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, good, good. So kiddos are down for the evening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And keeping you busy. Two little ones. Very busy. Oh my goodness. I chose like the most busy time of my life to like try and do all the things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's only the tiniest bit overwhelming, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, it's so entertaining. I have loved watching um, kind of your stories and just the the experiences that you've been going through with your whole fam bam and from the get go. And yeah. it's yeah, I mean, it's social media. So like, what do I really know about the life that you live truly, but it's uh, it looks like a handful I- and enjoyable too. it is it is both of those things. And yeah, I am a a chronic oversharer on social media. <laughs> so you actually can glean quite a lot. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't film the tantrums and mm-hmm. the hardships. So you don't necessarily mm-hmm. see that side of it, which can be equally overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, totally. There have yeah. been though recently, I feel like you've been sharing more about your youngest um, little rages and it's like, <laughs> it's so easy to find it comical on the outside, right? Like, I'm sure yes. that you don't, I mean, it's much different as like the actual mom, but I feel like the way that you present it is like super entertaining and very, I'm sure, so relatable for other moms yeah. too. But uh, but I have found that little bit as of late to be particularly entertaining (laughs) (laughs) yes I definitely get that feedback quite a bit like oh I'm right there with you Mm -hmm. so I know that you know a lot of women my age like moms of young kids are kind of all in this together yeah yeah totally oh okay so I want to start off let's like get to know you a little bit for those that have no idea who you are. Talk to us a little bit about your journey, kind of becoming a registered dietitian and getting into the field in the first place. And we'll kind of dive in a little later to how you got to be more of an online content creator. So what, what started the journey? Right. So I have always been a lover of food. I have always just had what I 
I probably consider it like a naturally larger appetite. Um, appetite is actually something that's incredibly fascinating to me, just how it varies from individual to individual and how I've always just kind of had this somewhat level of consciousness that I have a higher appetite than other people, uh, than my peers. Um, so there, th that, that was kind of like underlying, like, okay, what is this? And like, why do I love food so much? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I always just had that kind of ingrained, like love of food. And then I, you know, left for college when I was 18 and I was living in the dorms and trying to learn how to have complete autonomy over my own food choices. That's actually something that I really struggled with because we don't even realize for the first 18 years of our lives that for the most part, you know, like my mom packed my lunch, she made dinners or we had whatever, you know, I had whatever was in the house for breakfast, like things, things were dictated for you. And then you move out of the house and you're like, I choose what I eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and drinks every single day. And the decision of doing that and the opportunity of a cafeteria setting when there's all these different mm -hmm. things. So I just struggled with finding my way and knowing I wanted to be healthy, but like just kind of falling in with like some peer pressure and stuff um, as like, oh, well, they're eating that. So maybe I should be eating that, you know? And anyway, so I gained the freshman 15, of mm -hmm. course. And I was, you know, I thought it was the end of the world. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do in order to lose weight? So that was first semester. Second semester, I came back and I was just like all gung-ho about losing weight. And lose weight, I did. I basically kind of just went on a crazy crash diet of trying to consume as few calories as possible. And I did end up losing quite a lot of weight um, to the point of being underweight. And it was when I was losing weight that I thought that I wanted to be um, a nutritionist or a dietitian um, because I thought what I was doing was healthy. And I thought that I could have help other people, you know, mm. do the same thing as me because I was successful at weight loss. So I might as well help other people be successful with weight loss. And so that was my freshman year. So I switched my major. I started out as a theater major. So I switched my major into science um, at the end of my freshman year. So then I spend the rest of my undergraduate, you know, getting the prerequisites. My university didn't have a specific nutrition program. So I kind of had to do a lot of the prerequisites and then knowing that I was going to have to do an upper graduate degree, degree in order to um, get the school that I needed to be a registered dietitian. But I was willing to do that. And so I just started plugging away on on science classes. and. I struggled so much with my body and my diet during that time. I was miserable. I was, I was straight up miserable. I was skinny. Yes, but I have never been more miserable in my whole life. 
And did you still have the like reiteration that you wanted to pursue this degree and profession throughout that struggle? Or what was kind of the dialogue that was going on as you were continuing to pursue the degree while now getting being at a weight that seemed appropriate, but not a lifestyle that felt potentially sustainable, if that's even what you were thinking about at that time? I don't know. Yeah, I would say I was barely thinking about that. Okay. To be honest, I don't even know that I had a full grasp on what a registered dietitian actually was and totally. did. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that I liked nutrition and I wanted to do something in it. Mm. And that didn't that didn't change. Um but I kind of yeah, was had this naive perspective of just like kind of just forging ahead without really like knowing what I wanted to do specifically in dietetics. I just knew that I wanted to do something in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, like I just, I had such unhealthy eating behaviors, you know, the whole restricting during the day thing to save up calories for the evening, ending up binge eating in the evening and you know, school is hard and stressful. And so I just had like stressful eating and binge eating all this thing. And I ended up gaining all the weight back plus some. So I ended up graduating and I was heavier than when I had started at my freshman year. And, but I was like, you know what, this is still what I'm doing. I'm still passionate about it. And I still, I know that I can find my way with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to graduate school and actually it was probably throughout those years of graduate school that I really learned how I wanted to eat and what was sustainable and healthy for me, what that looked like, and then what I wanted to do and communicate as a nutrition professional with that, that lived experience, but also the the obvious science and schooling of nutrition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, um, gosh, it just takes me back to like my own experiences to like trying to think about paralleling with like grad school. And I was like thinking back to seeing you and going to your house around like parties that you would throw and things that you would cook and how you would be such this amazing host and what you, I don't know. It was just like always just the most incredible spreads you guys that Erica had always, always such, such tasty food. And so hearing this is actually really interesting to me because from what I have kind of always known of Erica, she's been a very all foods fit kind of gal with that narrative. And um, I think it's really interesting to hear you like just kind of talk about this experience and where do you feel like you've landed since then? Like, do you feel like it came into a smooth landing and it's been going strong ever since, or what's, what's it kind of looked like since even just grad school? Yeah. So the thing that I learned about myself and the, a lot of people, honestly, is that I literally cannot do restriction. Like my brain, as soon as I tell myself that I can't have something, that is all that I want. Mm -hmm. And so 
it just becomes this crazy cycle that I realized for me, I cannot, I, I actually can't. I, people think that it's willpower. I, maybe it is, maybe it is. I don't know. But like, when I told myself that, that I could have all those things, then it was no big deal. And they just weren't part of my everyday to day. But as soon as I say, I have to be vegetarian, I can't eat meat, then I'd be like craving meat. Or then I said, oh, oh, I'm going to do paleo, whole 30. Then all I want is some oatmeal. And mm-hmm. it's like, hold on, why can't I eat chicken and oatmeal? Uh, like just because these certain narratives tell me that I can't. And I just really learned. And I think, I think part of it too, was learning how to cook. It was like probably my junior, senior year of undergrad, where I started trying to cook for myself and learning how to cook. And one of the biggest things was I wanted to cook all things and cook really tasty things. Mm. And what did that look like? And it was too overwhelming and confusing if I was trying to cut out this, this, and this. Mm. Why not? include everything and have it be, you know, a moderate balanced thing that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting because it, the, the psychology around food intake is just, it's, it's fascinating. And it's also really hard to navigate as a person trying to figure out all of the bombardment of the shoulds and shouldn'ts and, um, in the world out there in diet culture, wellness culture, otherwise, you know, just from peers, whatever it is and trying to, and then also as a practitioner attempting to help people be healthy and give full permission to consume all the foods that they, you know, what they want while also understanding that there is this massive fear that all hell will break loose if they give themselves full permission for consuming anything that they want, right. To not have the rules, like people love rules around nutrition. They love them and they hate them. Right. Like it's like, um, they, because it's a control thing. So you worked at, um, you worked at the community clinic for a a good amount of years. Yeah. What would you say? Like, how would you approach the situation? Like if you're an all foods fit dietitian, how do you approach a situation where someone comes in and they are eating potentially like uh, not a classically healthy diet, maybe relatively highly processed, um, even though I hate that word too. It's like, you know, just maybe like less, less nutrient dense um, and in a fashion that doesn't support maybe their health goals. What how do you, what, what's, what are like the first things that you do with them? Like being on this other end of having so many tools in your tool belt, right? So many flavors that you know to utilize with, with food. Cause like to you, the, the sky's the limit. You're like, how it's like, there's so many ways to eat healthy and have it taste delicious, but you have people come in that their database is like pretty empty. What, what do you, what's the approach? What do you do kind of first and foremost? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So I was at the community health clinic for seven years and I will say the very hardest thing was exactly what you're saying. People coming in expecting me 
to say you can't eat this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And almost being frustrated slash mad at me that I didn't say that, mm-hmm. that, that I was promoting more of this balanced approach. They go, no, just, just tell me what I can eat and what I can't eat. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so one of my main like strategies and goals with that one-to-one counseling was goal setting. So setting really specific goals for them, which could essentially be kind of like a rule, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone comes in and they're drinking a liter of soda a day, you know, we would set a specific goal for them to drink one liter of water and two sparkling waters every day and limit their soda intake to two cans per week or something like that. Right. We would just set something that I, and I would ask them like on a scale from one to 10, how confident are you that you can actually do this? And if they gave me anything less than a seven, we had to redo the goal. So I I want if, yeah, I wanted that to set up some goals that they felt really confident that they would leave and absolutely do and, and quantifiable, like, yes, you did this. No, you didn't. So mm-hmm. it did give them some guidelines, um, to follow, but that were realistic and attainable for their lifestyle and wherever they were at in their health journey. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, what was probably like the biggest, Well, actually, I don't really know how things kind of worked in the, like, uh, where you were at. Did you see people frequently or was it a little bit of, um, like, what was the time span that you were able to like work with a person? Yeah, it kind of depended. So for diabetes, those were usually like my really kind of long term, like I was constantly checking in with them over like periods of years sometimes. And so that was more like um, every six weeks Mm. versus if someone was doing was more on like a weight loss journey and really needed support for weight loss or just changing their diet in general. That was more like every two weeks. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh. And that just seems two weeks seems a little bit more appropriate, but I don't know, like, again, the longevity of that. Cause I just, it, from what I've experienced so much is that like, because of the nuanced nature of intake, right. The many reasons a person eats what they do, they live how they do, like, like what dictates all of that, it just takes a lot of time and untangling and rewiring and building on knowledge, skills, and abilities that it just feels like an extended period is almost like the only route for success. Would you like, would you agree or propose an alternative? Like, do you have other kind of thoughts and ideas around a person's experience and how they can approach how to improve their wellness. Yeah, this is, this is a really tricky one, honestly, because do I think that someone could develop healthier habits by watching YouTube videos and 
following different social media accounts and implementing things they learn online. Absolutely, I think they could. But not everyone is wired that way. Mm -hmm. And if someone needs, some people truly need a different level of support and accountability. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to depend on the individual, but, and I think that it's like a variety of things. Could it be potentially the one-to-one help plus recruiting different resources that will reinforce those Mm -hmm. behaviors and give you the tools you need to succeed? I think that somewhat what I was lacking when I did one-to-one counseling was yeah, I mean, I was a pretty good nutrition counselor and I and I really enjoyed engaging with those individuals, but outside of my one hour with them, who knows what kind of influences they were getting, right. what they were surrounding themselves with, and there just wasn't a ton of support I could give them by way of like, you know, learning how to grocery shop, actually learning how to cook and those different things. Mm-hmm. Totally. I've struggled a lot with that and kind of figuring out how to formulate the own, my own approach of how to help people, because it's like, I feel like in this field, it's hard to just accept that you are just planting seeds, you know, and like, and giving people some tools because when you truly understand the complexity of the of behavior, you want to walk them to the finish line, right? <laughs> like, it's kind of like, I don't know, but also understanding that, again, people have different states of being receptive to certain information, different levels of commitment, different, I don't know, just abilities to, um, I don't know, like approach their own behaviors and habits and everything too. And so I find it a just an interesting line to tread with how to navigate what's best for individuals um, yep. and people that you're working with. Yeah. Um, because someone's not going to change if they're not ready to change. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the hardest things for me to learn is that I can do everything in my power. And if they're not there, th- mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's really nothing you can do. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I imagine too, in that type of facility, I know that you work very differently at this point, but, um, you know, it's, there's probably a lot of folks that are, um, pushed that direction from other practitioners or insurance based, or it's, it's a little bit less, unless there's, I mean, granted that's very like generalizing it a ton, but, um, with my own personal experience as well, when folks get encouraged to see a dietitian outside of their own true desire, it's a, it's just a little less, um, less tendency to commit long-term. Right. Right. And so, yeah. Right. So, um, with that contrast, so you, we've been talking a little bit about your job that, um, you were at for, for a while, previously, the bulk of your time is spent very differently now. So what is it that you do now? Talk to me a little bit about like, why, 
why you opted for this route and kind of intentions and maybe even visions for what what's to come with the pursuit of your business now. Right. So one thing that I've always loved is sharing food with people. And you know this because you've mm-hmm. been invited to some <laughs> of my dinner parties, mm-hmm. but I love cooking for people. I love feeding people. And I also love inspiring other people to cook for themselves. Mm-hmm. And part of um, how I started doing that was <laughs> literally in grad school. I started a blog way back when I kick myself every day. And I think, what if I had just stuck with it? Because, you know, with the craziness of grad school and studying for the RD exam and stuff, I ended up letting that particular blog lapse. Mm-hmm. But yeah, back in I, 2014, I started a blog. And I had started posting just pictures of my food on Facebook. And, you know, I'd get comments like, oh, what's the recipe? How do you make it? I was like, you know what? I really need to put this somewhere where I can actually share how to do what I'm doing. And so I started a blog and it was called It's a Flavorful Life. I remember you asking input on the the name of it. Uh-huh. Isn't that crazy? That's, it's yeah. so crazy. Uh-huh. So I, yeah. And that, that one just really resonated with me because my whole MO is that living a healthful, balanced lifestyle can be delicious and enjoyable mm-hmm. to eat. That is from the bottom of my soul, what I want people to understand and what I want to share with people. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I, you know, just started sharing on Facebook. And then I was sharing on Snapchat stories. Like uh (laughs) I remember I got, uh yeah. And then, and then my sister's like, what are you doing on Snapchat? It's about Instagram now. And Instagram has stories, you know? And so then I switched over to Instagram stories. And so I started sharing my food on Instagram stories. And I was never, I was never very good at food photography. And back then Instagram was a pretty much a photo sharing app. Mm -hmm. So you really only got a ton of followers if you had like these gorgeous food pictures. And I didn't have that great of food pictures. I it was just like a blurry iPhone photo, but in my stories, I always showed how to make it. Mm-hmm. And I think people were really interested in my story because they could actually see it coming together. So I was always really strong in stories, but unfortunately stories don't get you any reach. You know, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't grow your following. Only your followers can see them. So I share, I mean, I've been sharing in Instagram for what, 10, nine, 10 years now. Um, but, and so, yeah, I always just wanted to share my food and realistically my life and, and, and how I balance things, exercise and how to make good food. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I remember uh, you had like, just from the get go, there was like talk about even just having your own cooking show, like just like, and I, I've thought about this so much seeing you thrive a lot on social, just being like, 
this is it. Like, cause you have, you have such the stage presence. I mean, you just said you're like a theater major too. And it's like, yes, of course that makes sense as well. <laughs> um, uh, but like, uh, you have such a presence and then such the, like the presence and the passion and the skill set, you know, to, to deliver exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, I remember you talking about wanting to, have like a cooking show, like in an ideal world, like yeah. that would be it. And so, um, seeing what you've produced on Instagram has been so cool. And otherwise I'm not really sure, um, if there are other platforms that you're, that you utilize, a, um, a bit at this point, but it's been, um, I like, I just think that it's, it's been so entertaining to see how it's evolved. I remember when you were doing workout videos during COVID, and yep. like, yeah. And it's just so interesting to see the compilation of yeah, like the, the consistency I think has helped so, um, so much, like it's just staying consistent, um, helps like just, I think incredibly. And, um, and I don't know, I think it's been really cool. And, and you've also like, now it's like, you've, you've kind of, I don't know if niching in is really the appropriate verbiage here, but like you have a style and I think that it's really attractive, right? Using the, um, the, the, the sound. Like ASMR. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. that's the whole thing. And then incorporating your kiddos in, it's like, I just keep seeing like, oh my gosh, like the potential after potential after potential of like, where you can are able to go with all of this and essentially do what you're trying to do. Talk to me a little bit about the balance end because this is like you've got two littles and social media can be very misleading, you know, to a degree. And I know you get questions around this of like how you do it. Um, and I know you're usually extremely positive with <laughs> like how you say it's doable. What, yeah. uh, what's it look like really truly, um, with balancing being a mom and creating content. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. It's funny because I mean, I, I like what you said about the evolution of what, you know, I have, you know, people see that I have whatever, a hundred, a hundred plus thousand followers on Instagram. They're like, you know, they think that I must be some like overnight success. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I've been posting on Instagram every day for the past 10 years. And I had 3000 followers for like seven of those years. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, you know, to me, to me, it has always been about my people and providing them something with useful and valuable. So yeah, when the pandemic shut down and I started doing like three live workouts a week, you know, because people really wanted that. And I felt like that's something I could share with them. You know, then we kept progressing and then kind of reels came out and TikTok and all this stuff. And kind of that pipe dream of having a cooking show was like, oh, well, I'm not super good at food photography, but maybe I could just like people are making videos on their phone. I guess I could make videos on my phone. You know what I mean? And I started doing that. And I think that's when it kind of really took off and it and it gave me a little bit more confidence as well um, that like, 
oh, people like this. Like people are following and feeling ins inspired. And I think that's what gave me the confidence to kind of like step away from my clinic job. I actually wish that I had had the courage to do that long before mm -hmm. I did. But I, I never set out to be like, I'm going to get a lot of followers so I can make money from online business. No, I mean, I had no idea that was even a thing. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do was truly just show up and like help people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that happened really organically over the course of my social media career and is part of the reason why I am successful now with having like a highly engaged audience and, and followers that I really truly connect with and that resonate with some mm -hmm. like my style and my content. And I think that that's really encouraging. It's actually made stepping away from more of like that clinic slash office job easier. So I'll be honest, like I always wanted to work. I like work. I want to work. I never thought that I would be a fully stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was not something that was ever my true hundred percent goal in life. I love being a stay at home mom, but I also love working and I love being a dietitian. And so for me, it's gotta be like you said about that balance of trying to do both. And I'm not going to lie in this phase of my life. It's really hard. I have two beings that pretty much need my 100% attention whenever they're awake <laughs> at every moment of the day that they're awake. So, so when they are asleep, it's pretty much the only time I get to work per se. Um, and then I'm also really lucky that my husband is like pretty supportive. I mean, he works full time too, and a lot of hours. But when he can, he does kind of give me that time to work on something that I'm working on. And we do hire a babysitter like once or twice a week. And that mm -hmm. kind of helps bal balance that type of dynamic. But there's not a lot of time for rest or relaxation. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, gosh, I mean, I have no kids, um, but I have a a lot of nieces <laughs> and, um, and you know, a, a decent little bit of a experience with kiddos and, um, with, which does not equate to parenthood by any means, but what <laughs> I see you do, like the Easter egg hunts you do every day and like the going to the park every day, it's like, there is just a, a huge engagement with your kids as a stay at home mom, um, that I think is like profoundly time consuming, but also, you know, um, a part of that whole endeavor, you know, in the first place and probably why you opted to be a stay at home mom as well. Right. Like the, to spend Absolutely. the time, spend the time with the kids and, you know, kind of having this like looming, um, passion that still exists with what you want to do professionally and utilize with your knowledge base and, and promote to the world, I imagine can feel extremely, I don't know about like extremely, but I, I could see how it would feel, um, like a lot, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, they say, you know, the days are long, but the years are short. Mm-hmm. 
And it really is true. Like the days are overwhelmingly long sometimes, but like they're only little for like five years. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just, I have to tell myself that, you know, it's not for forever. And although I'm not able to perhaps like make money or like pursue all my business goals right now, there are plenty of people who start when they're 40, 50, mm -hmm. 60. Like I, I, I sometimes feel like, oh, I gotta do it right now. Then I'm like, I don't. Mm -hmm. I still can do all of these things. It just doesn't have to be right now. And that helps me yeah. be more present with them and just know that like, this is only going to happen once. And all of that other stuff can happen in the future, yeah. right? This is, this is right now. And this is mm -hmm. why I wanted to be home with them is to not miss these years. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. It's so yeah. So interesting how I consider that a lot of like our generation's grooming of just like the, the get to the, I don't even want to say end, but like it's the constant, like get to the point energy, right? Like get to when you have more success, get to when things feel more comfortable or something like, I don't even know the narrative that it is. I mean, I think it's like, get to the profession, get to the retirement, get to, I don't know, like there's so many things without the emphasis on embracing the journey and the patience and the idea of like impermanence too. Right. Like, yeah, I just think that it is an ever evolving door of um, life, you know? Um, yeah. So I love that that's, that's under, that's more or less understood, right? Probably has to right. be continually reiterated. I don't know what it does for me, but um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so I wanted to touch on um, going back into, this has been something that has been on my mind. I touched on it a little earlier with my own struggles with just getting sucked the hell into all the things that media and social media, but like also just peers. I feel like it happened a lot at the gym I was at for a long time with certain narratives of diet and wellness culture that I held on to tough you know, like getting into, and this is not to say that any single one of these things might not be fine for an individual. Um, just kind of disclaiming that, but recognizing for me, it was approached in a way that was not helpful and, uh, things like intermittent fasting, things like following a paleo diet, really strictly following a ketogenic diet, really strictly thinking it was the only way to manage my type one diabetes and, or, improve fat burning and metabolism and, or like kind of these optimal wellness, biohacking, et cetera, um, interventions for health that are very slippery slopes for folks that are trying to navigate improving their health, living well, but that may be a little bit misconstrued or basically, I don't know, I guess like not really having a very full evaluation, uh, an appropriate evaluation. And I'm curious, you have been the OG of like all foods fit for so long. And mm -hmm. 
how do you do it? Like how, like how would you get kind of bombarded by people online talking about certain new diets, new, new research, even with like health and, um, how to optimize X, Y, and Z. Cause it's like, yeah, like we're in the field. We want to also be up to date yeah. and apply mm -hmm. appropriately. So it's like, what do you miss it out on? How do you navigate it? And like, what, how in the world did it just work out for you to kind of like sit in with the all foods fit mentality without getting distracted? Yeah. So one thing is I very much limit my exposure to nutrition noise. Hmm. So I, I mean, if someone even kind of starts being diet culture and I follow them not on follow, mm. you know, I do not follow gimmicky accounts or, um, any sort of extreme or that narrative and any like influencer or nutrition professional that I follow, I, I will not follow them. I will unfollow in a heartbeat, mm. um, because I don't want to have that kind of influence and in my life. Um, and so, I, yeah, I really control that noise in what I consume and, and I follow equally as sound people. I follow really, in my opinion, really legit people mm -hmm. who know what they're talking about, who promote information based on nutrition science nutrition research, and not any of those like gimmicky claims. Mm. Um, so that's one way for sure. And then the second would be too, that like, I, I know that they're out there. I do know that they're out there, but I have personally never met a person who has really truly like correctly done keto for long-term. Yeah. I do not know. I do not know a single person mm -hmm. who does paleo consistently, correctly long-term. Mm -hmm. Um, so to me, it's like, I ask myself or these people in my head, I'm like, you've got to find something that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. If it's not sustainable, it's not worth pursuing. Let's say, for example, keto was, did have these miraculously good outcomes for blood sugar numbers. Let's just say compared to, um, more of a well-rounded diet. I don't necessarily think that that person is going to be better off, even if the keto diet has proved better numbers, if it's so unrealistic for them that they have unhealthy cycling and binging and restricting types mm -hmm. of things continually throughout their life. Okay. So one month their blood sugar numbers are really good because they're doing keto really consistently. And then it was too hard. So the next month they fall off and then the next month they get back on versus had they just healed their relationship with food and had a successful, well-balanced diet, maybe their blood sugars weren't quite as good as insert diet here. But over time, over years and years and years, I think that those numbers are going to prove to be a lot um, 
healthier, more consistent and provide better health outcomes for that individual. And mm-hmm. I used keto just as that example, but sure, I, yeah, it was, it was really insert diet here, right? Totally. If it's not sustainable, whatever it's promising you, mm-hmm. it, it's not going to happen. Totally. It's straight up not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. I imagine you saw clients that came in to see you um, or probably even like talk to you outside of like uh, the clinic that you worked at as well. But I mean, like diets like Octavia or like the ones with that, like have the, the products that you have to buy yeah. every month or, um, or there's like rigid, rigid rule, like, like a shake, like two shakes a day and then a meal or like, yep. it's, it's so, I don't know. It's so interesting to me that like people, uh, like, I don't know where the, the connection is lost with like how, like, I always think about what do you do after? Like, what is this teaching you? What is this? Like, what, like, how, what are skills you're gaining from this endeavor? And if you're gaining some, like if it's like teaching you how to cook one, like dinner, it's like taking some of the question out of like breakfast and lunch and you're gaining skills on dinner. Okay. That's something to like pull away. But like, ultimately it's like, how do you consider this something that will last? And maybe that's the whole thing is that people don't, I don't know if they think about that or something. It is. It's the, like the magic pill syndrome Mm -hmm. is it's the quick fix. People want that magic fix and it just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work. Especially with those programs, because Mm -hmm. it might help you lose a significant chunk in the one month, two month, three month. But as soon, because you didn't learn how to eat appropriately once you go off of those prepackaged meals, then you go back to what you always knew and what you always knew wasn't supporting your health goals. Mm -hmm. And that's still not going to support your health goals. So it's kind of this vicious cycle. Totally, totally. I, um, I, I love what you talk about with, cause part of this whole, the whole sustainability of, of healthful intake has so much to do with people understanding their options and understanding how they can make healthier food be as appealing, um, as foods that might be a little bit more hyper palatable. And I, I go through this, like often with clients where I'm kind of like working on navigating, contrasting foods that are less nutrient dense, hyper palatable, high fat, high salt, high sugar. And then I go into talking about foods that are more nutrient dense, but it it's so often like contrasts directly to like just talking about hyper palatability and then healthful foods. So it, it gives this impression that like healthful foods are not hyper palatable in a sense. Right. And, right. and so I have like, this isn't to say that like healthy foods are not super amazing and nutritious and delicious and can be just as stimulating on palates. I think that there is to a degree, a little bit of a transition that palates have to go through one end to another end. But also there's a lot of wiggle room to make healthful foods so tasty. And I, 
I've always just really loved what you, how you demonstrate that even like something I do, like I had a, a rule around honey for a long time, but lots of things with like being, being someone with type one, having like a lot of sugar issues. And then also being in the diet culture, wellness culture, like right. whole of like sugar is the devil. Um, I think about how you incorporate like just even honey in to make foods more, um, palatable and not just honey. It's usually in like a, a mix of a, a bunch of different other flavors and things, but the ability, um, and this kind of like understanding of enhancing foods with certain flavors to make them more appealing and palatable being this transformative way to approach health. And right. I, I, I just absolutely love how you demonstrate that. Is there, are there things that like, I don't know if there'd be like a top tips or tricks or things that you would talk about on steps that people can make if they're struggling on how to like, just transition because the foods you make are, can be intimidating, right? Like the mixture of ingredients you use, the types of ingredients, the flavors, the like, how do you use this or that? Um, I remember specifically actually talking to you one time about like a, something you made. And I was like, Erica, what, what did you put in this? And you're like, you, I don't know, you listed some of the ingredients. I'm like, but like how much? And you're like, I, like what, how much do you want? You know, it's like you, you do it to taste. And I was like, what? It was like, you know, I didn't have, and still, you know, to don't still, but like have the understanding to, to have like, it's like, is it a teaspoon? Is it a tablespoon? Is it a half a cup? Like, this is all, these are all things that I feel like people have to experiment with their own self. Right. But I just totally remember that time. Cause now I say that where I'm like, well, just however much you want, but it's like people right. need the concrete ballpark basically. Right. Right. Um, so what would you say? Like, what would be maybe some ideas to get people going with how to create more palatability with their, with their food when they're struggling? Yeah. So yeah, I kind of wanted to touch on that too, that you said, when you think about the foods that are hyper palatable, mm -hmm. um, let's say things like, you know, chips or soda or, um, you know, just a top ramen, things like that. Yeah. What do those things have in common? And it's usually sugar, salt, and fat. And so if we can apply sugar, salt, and fat, but to healthier food mm -hmm. that really helps them taste and be more appealing. So making a sauce with honey and soy sauce and sesame oil, mm. sugar, salt, and fat is going to make your stir fry come alive. It's going to make your roasted broccoli amazing right? And so we can use those same principles, but in a more whole foods way. And that's really what learning how to cook is, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, some people say, oh, oh honey is sugar, and, you know, that's unhealthy. But when you think about it, if you are putting a tablespoon of honey in your stir fry sauce to balance it, so that you eat three cups of vegetables, right? Totally. Like, 
that's where I feel like people get hung up in the extremes. Mm -hmm. If you're so extreme that you can't have any grams of sugar, then you're going to miss out on three cups of vegetables, Mm -hmm. right? Just as an example. Totally. So that's why I want people to understand that that if you get rid of the restrict, you can really embrace some of the ways to make healthy food taste good. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, I am 100% internet talk cook. Like I did not just come out of the womb, like (laughs) make a balsamic vinaigrette. I learned how to cook from Google a hundred percent. And I think some of it, some of it is a little bit inherent and like just as a lover of food and kind of like a creative person in general, I think some of it is that, but practice practice, practice. I did not just like know how to cook. I am good at cooking because I have done it so much. Mm -hmm. I think people just think that you are just like naturally good at cooking. No, if I wanted to develop, for example, I use this example. I am really bad at fashion. I hate fashion. I don't stay up on the trends. I hate shopping. I don't shop often. And I look at someone who's dressed all cute and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to do that. Listen, if I took the time to shop, if I took the time to like learn about that type of thing, I could look cute. I could wear cute clothes. I do not take the time to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with food. I mean, there's so many realms that you could use that example in, you know, so so there are things that get sacrificed in my life, like fashion or home decor, because I'm spending time in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And you really have to realize that not every single person is doing every single thing perfectly. No, Mm -hmm. it's where you're putting your time and your effort and your energy. Yeah. So anyway, that is kind of, I mean that is how I got better at cooking and how Mm -hmm. I practice it on a day-to-day basis. Now, if I was to recommend like, okay, where to start with someone, um, I, yeah, I would genuinely say maybe find one or two food blogs where you really resonate with their style of recipes, recipes you've tried have been good. You like their style. It fits within either your budget, your cooking skill level, or the ingredients that you like to eat, right? Mm -hmm. Or find one to two social media accounts where you like their vibe, you like their meal ideas. Like you don't have to be the person who comes up with every single meal Mm -hmm. idea. Use external influences to give you those ideas and then just replicate them in a way that feels good for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love that. I talk a lot about, um, you know, cause most common things, convenience, simplicity, like low effort, right. When, when so many people are talking about what to, create and make and and there's this I find that there's often this big narrative around meal prepping and needing to like plan a ton and I think that that can be absolutely important for many people depending on their their situation and I I think that something I've learned from you and from my own dabbling with cooking um, I remember like in foods class I was 
chopping an onion and <laughs> got poked fun of for the way that I was chopping it from you. And I think like, I don't know, maybe Hannah, shout out to Hannah if she hears this, but like, <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's like, man, I really don't know much about cooking. And so my venture into this was like, kind of looking at commonalities of ingredients and flavors. So it's like, if you really don't know what goes well together, it's extremely daunting and potentially very frustrating to trial and error because you run the risk of ruining food, ruining thing and like, and creating food that you do not like, you know, and then getting defeated. So it's helpful to have, like, I think recipes can even feel intimidating to people because depending on the familiarity of ingredients, but I found that like looking at commonalities uh, between uh, recipe combinations of flavors and then utilizing that to then explore and on my own, like looking at a recipe now, all I do is like look at recipes to get inspired because mm-hmm. oftentimes I don't have all the ingredients I needed my like at my spot. And so I'm like, okay, don't have that. Don't have that. Have that. That's a good idea. Okay, let's see what I can do. And right. that has taken a long time to get to this point and not to, I hate saying that because I don't like that to be daunting for folks too to put like a timestamp, but it does, it takes trial and error. But I think that what's really helpful is to just work on flavor combinations because you can mix and match ingredients to a certain degree. But if you can understand flavor blends, you can have this like very similar ingredients with like sub and out broccoli for Brussels sprouts or sub and out salmon patty for a turkey burgie, but you can make it a totally different flavor palette just by knowing how to utilize different seasonings and flavor combinations. And I found that to be like super helpful understanding that kind of foundation. And additionally, a tip that I got from you was like using, using the freshy ingredients, like the fresh garlic, the fresh ginger, the, and granted, I know it's not as convenient for folks. And that can also be like a little bit of a deterring factor, but I know that that Taking pro tips of flavor from Erica, you guys, <laughs> like, yes. this is, this is, it's so like, I wish that you could all taste your food because there's, there has <laughs> forever. It's just, it's true though. It's like there, there's always just a different edge to your food with like flavor bombs. And I don't, don't believe like every single meal that you put out on Instagram, I feel like would taste just as incredibly wonderful. Um, not just when you were doing hosting dinner parties and stuff. Like, I don't think it was right. a laden it with honey situation or whatever. Right. It was truly utilizing nat- like these ingredients in their best form to promote the yeah. flavor. So yeah. I love that. Any thoughts with all that? Yeah. And th- I I am a little bit of a purist when it comes to that as far as like, you know, really um, leaning into fresh garlic, cheese grated from the block, totally learned that from you too. herbs, lemon, lime, mm. all of these things. And when you think about it, that is not only flavorful, but it's actually also the healthiest Mm -hmm. when you use foods in their most simplest form. Mm -hmm. And, and um, yeah, kind of going back to what you were saying too, about like kind of the mixing and matching is that I do, I think that 
for the most part, people might understand, okay, pick a protein, pick a carb, pick a veggie, right? I tell people to do this, like have that be your foundation, fill 50% of your plate with vegetables, 25% with protein, 25% with carb. Okay. But how do we make it fun? Mm-hmm. How do we make it flavorful? How do we make it something that you want to eat? And something as simple as crumbling on some goat cheese, mm-hmm. doing a balsamic glaze, adding pine nuts, adding some flaky sea salt. All of a sudden, that asparagus, chicken and rice went from asparagus, chicken and rice to something that was that's really beautiful and fun to eat and mm-hmm. really flavorful. And so if you can find those staple things that you really enjoy, like maybe it doesn't have to be from scratch. Maybe it's a good quality store-bought teriyaki sauce, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it, maybe it's sriracha mayo. I use sriracha mayo all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you really like crumbled feta on something. Maybe you have like a candy nut that you really like that is makes your salads just super good. It's all of those fun things, those flavorful add-ons after the fact that can make the food come alive. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Oh man, I just um I want you to have a cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know that's the dream. We gotta get Food Network on board. <laughs> uh-huh. It's true though. And I know that like there's avenues roughly like through the the YouTubes and the Instagrams and things and stuff now. But I right. just um I think about you a lot when I'm cooking because it's like just certain tips and tricks of like order of operations, like, right. and like yeah. how to flavor things. Yeah. Well, you asked me bef- um, in our little, like your little questionnaire before, like some really basic cooking tips. So I have mm-hmm. a couple of those yeah. just really actionable things. Okay. So really quickly. So um, have a scrap bowl. Okay. Oh, so yes. when you are cooking, have a bowl to mm-hmm. put all of your kitchen scraps as you go. Okay. This doesn't sound like a big deal, but it really, it it just transforms how quickly you can prep a meal. Mm -hmm. Second, pull everything out before you even get started. Pull out your grain, pull out your cooking liquid, pull out all of your veggies, pull out all of your spices, pull out everything, have it right there with you at the counter. Okay. Then you're not wasting time going to this drawer, going to the pantry, going to the freezer, going to the fridge. Everything is out on the counter before you start cooking. Pat your proteins dry. So whether it's chicken, tofu, salmon, shrimp, beef, whatever it is, pat it dry. This gets rid of some of the moisture and it helps it brown up nicely, whether it's roasted or whether it's in the pan. Um, You know, sometimes you if you're having like really watery, like for example, ground turkey, or if you put like tofu in and it's really watery, it's because you didn't get enough of the moisture out. Mm -hmm. It also helps um, seasonings adhere to the protein when you pat it dry. Okay. Um, Add spices to oil, not liquid. So this mostly applies to when you're like making soup. So for example, like if you were like sauteing some vegetables for soup and then you were going to add broth, a lot of times I see people add the broth and then add the chili powder, add the garlic powder, right? You need to add the garlic and the chili powder or whatever spices you're using 
before you add the liquid because the fat in the oil will help bloom the spices and help them be a lot more flavorful. So you want to do that before you, oh, slightly undercut the water to grain ratio when you are making like, for example, rice or quinoa. So it's really commonly repeated to do like two to one ratio, right? But I find that like a 1.75 to one ratio um, is really helpful for always getting consistently fluffy and well-cooked rice. Mm. So if you undercut that ratio just a little bit and then fresh herbs and fresh citrus at the end. Yes. Yeah. Those are my my practical cooking tips for y'all. So good, Erica. So good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know that, um, yes, it's been, uh, it's, it's late at this point and I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Um, where can people find you get more tips, tricks and recipes? What's the breakdown of that? Okay. So I'm on Instagram at it's a flavorful life and I'm on TikTok at Erica period baby. Um, and then my website is flavorfullife.com, except there's only one L. So it's flavorful life. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because flavorful life was taken gosh Mm -hmm, dang it but mm -hmm. (laughs) so it goes but yeah you can find me any of those places I am there often and always and always look forward to connecting with people on food yes oh wonderful everyone go check her out she is so dang entertaining and seriously uh, we didn't even touch on so many, so many things. I wanted to like dive into like a lot more around tips and tricks with cooking things, but she's got a ton of recommendations. So I don't know if it's on your website as well, but I know Instagram, we've got the the Amazon store where you recommend all of your utensils and kitchen gadgets and all. I mean, it's worth, it's definitely worth looking at um, to, to at least get an idea of what you utilize because super helpful so okay thanks again y'all and thank you erica and yes we'll uh, talk to you next time okay bye thank you so much for listening today if you found this information valuable please share this episode and give it a review they truly help a ton if you want additional support and information you can head over to my website teresemartinezrd.com where you can snag my free guide on how to improve your hunger signals, get on my email list for regular juicy content, or apply for the next round of my signature program, Restoring Nutrition Intuition. Otherwise, Instagram at Therese Martinez RD or my Facebook group, Fed Fit and Fad Free Nutrition with Therese are always places for more content and support. Until next time.